Welcome to episode 191 of This Week in Linux, recorded live on March 26th, 2022. I'm your host, Michael Tunnell. If you're new to the show, this is the podcast that will keep you up to date with what's going on in the Linux world, and I'll give you my take as a 20-year-plus Linux user. On this week's episode, we've got some distro news, app news, gaming news, and even a little bit of security news to cover. All of this and so much more coming up right now on your weekly source for Linux. Good news. This episode of This Week in Linux is sponsored by DigitalOcean, by Visuex, and by Bitwarden. A first in the show is the ultimate release to the GNOME desktop, and that is GNOME 42. There's a, it's not actually the last release, but it's 42, so you get it. GNOME 42 has been released for the next version of the GNOME desktop environment. There's a lot of new features in there. We're not going to be able to cover everything, but I'm going to cover uh, the big highlights for this release. So there's a system-wide dark mode now. So this is something a lot of people have been asking about for a long time. So it is great to see it being added to it. I mean, I constantly would like want to have everything in dark mode because I just prefer dark mode. So seeing this being added as a global part of GNOME is fantastic. Uh, also, there's a new folder icon theme update. It's more modern approach to folder icons. And also there's some changes with GTK4 and libedwaita. While maybe not everyone is excited about these changes, there are plenty of benefits to this as well. And I'll get to the reasons of why people might not be excited about it, but also the reason why people are. So libidwaita library, for those who are unfamiliar, is a key component to the toolkit for GTK4 applications. It's the GTK4 port of the libhandy library that defines the visual language of the GNOME desktop. So the libidwaita and GTK4 changes are, you can see them in basically everything now, like the user interface, also applications. So the entire desktop you can see for the desktop shell. But for example, with the shell, you can see that like there's flat buttons now. Uh, there's new colors, rounded corners, refined controls, and a lot of other things. Now, the people who are not pleased with this are is due to the limitations around customization. So with libidwaita and GTK4 limits the customization of the GNOME shell and in some ways applications as well. This is why the Budgie team has opted to switch away from GTK to a different toolkit. If you'd like to learn more about that particular thing, I'll, ha I'll have a link to episode 168 of Twill in the show notes so you can check out when we talked about that. Now, back to the news. So GNOME 42 also has a revamped system settings. They have improvements to the screenshot tool UI as it's now built into the GNOME shell interface, uh, of course, with print screen uh, shortcut. But rather than using a standalone app, it's built into the, the interface of GNOME shell, and it now has support for native screen recording, which is pretty cool. They also did something that's pretty interesting and related to the dark mode. They also added a night and day feature for the wallpapers. So if you use red shifting effects during nighttime in order to minimize blue light, then you'll see the value in this very quickly. If you don't use that kind of stuff, then I'd recommend looking into it because it does totally help and it is nice for those who have issues of having to work or be on a computer very late. It's good to have the red shift activated and uh, well, some, come, some call it night light and various other things. Anyway... Support for also the input events to have are now happening at full rate rather than being limited by the monitor refresh rate. This means it will have low lower input latency and improve responsiveness when it's under like under load for the system. This will be particularly beneficial for games and uh, graphics applications. They've also introduced a new text editor app, which looks like a fairly powerful text editor while also being kind of a minimal approach. So it seems like 
It offers a curated set of features rather than trying to compete with the long-term players in the space. Although that could change in the future. We don't know about that. So there, there could be plans. We'll have to wait and see on that. But I will say that these this this trend that GNOME has of naming everything in the most generic way, not the best option. Please stop that because it's a text editor, so it's called text editor. That is like the worst way of being able to search for stuff on Google or DuckDuckGo. It makes it kind of difficult. Please stop. <laughs> anyway, there's also a lot of more things on this latest release of GNOME 42. And depending on your distribution, you may or may not have access to it already. So uh, check the out your repositories. There's actually probably like very few that right now have it. But in the next coming weeks or so, more distributions will have it. And depending on your distribution, it might take months as well. So... There's that. If you'd like to learn more about the latest release of GNOME 42, I'll have links in the show notes. Up next in the show is the latest release of Laka. Laka 4.0 has been released. For those unfamiliar, Laka is a lightweight Linux distribution that transforms a small computer into a full-blown retro gaming console. This new release comes with the support for various models like the Raspberry Pi, Odroid, Abernick, Allwinner, and more. It's built on top of RetroArch, allowing you to get tons of emulation stuff working quite easily. RetroArch is really cool. And also some of what's new in Laka 4.0 are a new build system, RetroArch updated to 1.10.1. The cores have been updated to the most recent versions. Cores are what they kind of talk about, like modules, they call them cores, uh, various different runtimes and stuff like that. Also, Mesa updated to 22.0. Various kernel updates depending on the device. So there's different kernels depending on which device you're using. And they've also added support for additional AllWinner and AmLogic devices, as well as a complete rewrite of the port for the Nintendo Switch with many fixes and enhancements. And if you'd like to learn more, for about Laka or check it out for yourself for Laka 4.0, links in the show notes. Up next in the show, we're going to talk about Imagination's Tech PowerVR GPU Vulkan Drivers for Linux. So, Imagination Tech's new PowerVR Rogue PVR Vulkan Driver will be included in Mesa 22.1's next release, which will be happening next quarter. So, for those who don't know what this means, I'll give you a breakdown. So, the PowerVR GPUs are in quite a lot of mobile devices. It's one of the larger GPU vendors for ARM hardware and even some x86 platforms. These GPUs have been an issue on Linux for quite some time, From but there's, they're also used quite a lot from the PowerVR smartphones, also to the early Intel Atom devices and that sort of stuff. There are already well-established open-source drivers for other GPUs, like the ARM Mali or the Qualcomm Adreno and Vivanti, which is why the current Linux phones have selected hardware that uses these GPUs. But change is in the air. Imagination Tech's new PowerVR Rogue PVR Vulkan driver is now being merged into the Mesa drivers, the open source graphics stack used in Linux. The supported GPUs for this new driver are the A series and B series, but these are not much used yet so they're because they're kind of too new. But the ones that is new or is around for a while that is important is the GX6250 Series 6XT, which is used in a lot of Chromebooks and Android tablets. And one cool thing about this Vulkan driver is that in combination with something like the Mesa Zinc, it is possible to have OpenGL support through this driver without the driver having to implement GL API itself, which is very cool. And this is great news as it introduces support for a range of devices that were previously incompatible with Linux, and that is always great to see. If you'd like to learn more about this topic, check out the article published by TuxPhones.com for more details. I'll have a link in the show notes below. This episode of This Week in Linux is brought to you by DigitalOcean. 
cloud computing can be, let's say, complex. But setting up reliable, affordable cloud infrastructure really doesn't have to be. At DigitalOcean, you can enjoy a comprehensive portfolio of compute, storage, database, and networking products that put your cloud infrastructure in capable hands so you and your teams can get back to doing what matters most, building world-changing apps that grow your business. With DigitalOcean, you also get predictable pricing, robust product docs, and services that developers love. That's DigitalOcean. You get support at every stage of growth, from teams of one person to teams of a thousand people. With simple, powerful cloud computing, you can get growing at DigitalOcean. And as a listener of This Week in Linux podcast and a member of the DLN community, you can get started for free. In fact, it's, it's better than free, because with DigitalOcean, you're getting a $100 free credit when you go to do.co slash tux2022. That's do.co slash tux2022. So again, get started with your $100 free credit on DigitalOcean's awesome cloud platform by going to do.co slash tux2022. And we want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of This Week in Linux. Up next in the show, let's talk about Linux Mint, and more specifically the Debian edition, because Linux Mint has announced the release of the Debian edition of the distro, otherwise known as LMDE, or Linux Mint Debian edition, with LMDE 5. LMD5 is using the latest stable Debian packages based on Debian 11 Bullseye, as well as the latest versions of those packages created and maintained by Linux Mint developers themselves, such as the Cinnamon desktop environment. So this latest release has a Cinnamon 5.2.7 available by default, and Clem, quoted based on this latest release, says that the result is a little bit underwhelming because it just looks and feels like Linux Mint 20.3. But under the surface, though... It features a Debian 11 base whose software is more recent than Ubuntu 20.04 and which gives a preview of some of the challenges we'll face in Linux Mint 21. For those confused by the statement of Debian software being more recent, because you don't really hear that very often, the reason is Linux Mint's core Ubuntu base is, is updated once every two years. Linux Mint has point releases every six months, but these are not a touching the core parts. They're doing their own stuff, their own packages like Cinnamon updates and that sort of stuff, or some you know app updates and that thing. Not the full core components of the system because those are updated along with every new version of Ubuntu's LTS releases, which happens every two years. So when people see the point releases, just know that the core components are still the same between every point release. So it's the 20.0, 20.1, 20.2, and 20.3 are all using the same core components. This is why with the Debian releases, which happen in between the cycles, typically between the uh, LTS releases of Ubuntu, it means that sometimes the packages in Debian for the Debian edition of LMDE could be more up to date, and this is one of those cases. So hopefully that explains it well, and I didn't ramble too much. But if you'd like to learn more about LMDE 5, link in the show notes. Up next in the show, let's talk about some news that Pharonix is reporting that Ubuntu 22.04 LTS will now default to the Wayland session for running GNOME with the NVIDIA proprietary drivers. Now, there is a limitation, though, so if you have older hardware, you might not be able to do it because it's only available for people with hardware that supports using the NVIDIA 510 series drivers or newer. Ubuntu has already been using Wayland by default since Ubuntu 21.04 for the Intel and AMD users, but for the NVIDIA users... Their driver wasn't really supported for Wayland, so they were defaulting to the Xorg session instead. Over the past several months, though, NVIDIA has been working to address bugs in their Wayland support, and most notably, having support for GBM, or the Generic Buffer Manager. 
Now, this is really important because it's the big holdout for why it wasn't supported. So if you want to learn more about that, you can check out previous episodes of Twill where I covered the GBM. Another cool thing about this news is that this is a true example of the value of open source. This is work that is not just thanks to NVIDIA themselves, but also a collaboration with Red Hat and Fedora, resulting in a very valuable benefit to the entire Linux ecosystem. This is one of the reasons why this platform is so awesome, in my opinion. The great work done in one part of the ecosystem can, and very often does, benefit everyone else, regardless of where they choose to be in the ecosystem, and that is why Linux is just a fantastic system to use. So if you'd like to learn more about this latest news related to Wayland on NVIDIA for Ubuntu 22.04 LTS, link in the show notes. OBS Studio has announced that they have released the software in the Steam store, which is pretty interesting. But OBS on Steam only supports macOS 10.13 or higher, as well as Windows 8.1 or higher. Now that's kind of weird because it doesn't, you know, why am I talking about it on Linux show and it's not for Linux. Well, it's kind of interesting because in the frequently asked questions section, they're they're asked, is there a difference between the Steam and the regular versions? And OBS Studio says that it's the exact same version as you would download from our website. You're like, okay. Then they also talk about are cloud saves supported for like a Steam support feature? And the answer to that is nope. So are other additional Steam features like workshop achievements and those things supported? The answer to that is also nope. So what's the point? Well, it seems people requested it to be added to Steam, and that's basically it, to make it easier for them to install it and that sort of stuff. So that's pretty much the only reason. But when they were asked, when there will there be a Linux version, they say, and I quote, currently we have no concrete plans for providing a Linux build on Steam. While for Windows and Mac OS, we can simply reuse our existing builds, Linux would require a different build that is separate from our Ubuntu PPA or our Flatpak efforts. While we will look into the feasibility of providing such a version, we are already pretty busy as is and will be focusing on Flatpak as well as general OBS on Linux development for the time being. We recommend that Linux users use our Flatpak support as well support as a, for a well-supported first-party OBS experience on large variety of distros. Then they link to the Flatpak. Now, ultimately, this isn't a big deal because OBS Flatpak is officially supported and having an officially supported version that uses a universal format is already awesome and arguably better in some ways. So I'm okay with this news. I just thought I'd include it in the show to explain that even though it isn't supported on Linux in Steam, there really isn't a reason to want it to be anyway. So there's that. For more information, link in the show notes. This episode of This Week in Linux is brought to you by Bitwarden. Get started right now with your free account at bitwarden.com DLN. Bitwarden is an awesome password manager that allows you to have peace of mind knowing that your online accounts are secure. How does it do it? Well, Bitwarden provides you with tools to store all of your passwords in a secured vault, auto-generate those passwords for you, and even automatically fill in those passwords on login forms so you don't have to do any of this stuff. Plus, you have access across many different types of devices, whether it's your web browser, mobile applications, desktop application, or even on the command line. Bitwarden is the fantastic password manager that I use and trust. And also, it seals and encrypts your private data with end-to-end encryption before it ever leaves your devices, so you know you're the only person with access to your data, which is a one of the reasons I that use and trust it because of that, that approach, as well as being an open-source project, which is amazing. So go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started. And did I mention you can start it for free? Well, you can, but I also think you want to check out their premium account because they have a lot of great features and it starts at less than a dollar per month. 
That's right, less than a dollar per month gets you one gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F Duo, Vault Health Reports, Bitwarden Authenticator for temporary one-time passwords, Priority Customer Service, Bitwarden Send Service, tons of great features, all of this for less than a dollar per month. So make the smart move that many of the community have and go to bitwarden.com slash DLN to get started. And thanks again to Bitwarden for sponsoring This Week in Linux. Up next in the show is the latest release of Crossover with Crossover 21.2 being released with the newest version of the commercial software based on Wine, which offers Windows applications, support, and game support across Linux, macOS, and Chrome OS. So Crossover 21.2 has more than 300 patches from upstream Wine around Wine D3D and many other fixes. So Crossover 21.2 now has audio support for Halo Master Chief Collection on Linux, rendering fixes for Microsoft Office 365 on Linux and Chrome OS, and various other improvements. And also, I want to give you a quick information about the crossover for those who are not familiar. Crossover is from the Codeweavers team, and also some other things are from the Codeweavers team, which are Wine and Proton. So it's an interesting kind of uh, structure of how all the different projects work, because they are all separate, and Wine is a community-driven, but a lot of people from Codeweavers contribute to Wine directly, as well as Proton is made with a collaboration between Valve and Codeweavers, and thus we have Proton. And Crossover is the commercial version of Codeweavers. So in a way, if you would like to contribute to Proton or contribute to Wine directly, it's not really that easy to do in terms of like the project's own separate approaches. However, if you uh, purchase Crossover, you are basically contributing to Wine and Proton at the same time, which you also get a cool piece of software with Crossover. So I think that's a really cool approach for those who would like to contribute to those projects. And if you'd like to learn more about Crossover itself with 21.2, I'll have a link in the show notes. Up next in the show is the latest release of the Fish Shell with 3.4. For those unfamiliar, Fish is a user-friendly command line shell for Linux. User-friendly in their opinion, uh, it depend, depending on your perspective, you know, command line might not be all that user-friendly, but you know, that's up to you to decide. The, so this Fish is a shell that is like an alternative to Bash. It has a lot of cool features like auto suggestions, scripting, man page completion, uh, support for uh, 24-bit true color, uh, web-based configurations for the shell, lots of cool stuff. I think the auto suggestions is really awesome because it basically, once you start typing, it just kind of like fills in stuff that you can continue to type. But if you actually want to use what it suggests, you can just tab complete it. And that's pretty cool. Uh, So Fish 3.4 improves a lot of stuff based on like its command substitution syntax. Also, the set slash get now have a dash dash function option to set a variable in the functions. Uh, Also, uh, performance improvements for globbing, support for disabling auto suggestions if you want to, and also a wide range of scripting improvements and a lot of other things. For those who are not familiar, file globbing is an operation that recognizes patterns and then does the job to do expansion of the file path automatically. So that's what that means. Because I actually didn't know that until I did this topic and I looked it up. I'm like, oh, okay, that's what globbing is. <laughs> if you'd like to learn more about Fish 3.4, link in the show notes. Up next in the show is the latest release of Samba with Samba 4.16. For those unfamiliar, Samba is the implementation for improving Windows file slash print interoperability with Linux-based systems. 
This latest release of 4.16 has a lot of features, but we're not able to cover everything. But first of all, the highlights are that the certificate uh, auto enrollment support for allowing devices to enroll for certificates from Active Directory Certificate Service. Also, Samba DSERP D is introduced to provide DSERP C in the member server setup. Also, Samba's Heimdall Kerberos implementation has been updated against what is close to being Heimdall 8.0 and now adds FAST support and other features. Uh, FAST is capitalized. All F-A-S-T is all caps, so that's why it's FAST. It's not just FAST. It's FAST. But by the way, I also like the Heimdall Kerberos name. That's, that's fun. Anyway, also in this release is the ability to add ports to DNS forwarder addresses in the internal DNS backend. Also, SMB1 protocol has been deprecated in this release and many more. If you'd like to more, learn more about this latest release of Samba 4.16 or just Samba in general, links in the show notes. This episode of This Week in Linux is brought to you by Visuex.com. Visuex is a brand strategy design cult consultancy. For those unfamiliar with what that means, basically it's a way of saying that Visuex helps brands and businesses achieve their goals and accelerate growth to convert leads into customers through marketing and design services. Visuex helps businesses gain a competitive advantage and build lasting relationships with their communities. And also, you know, businesses shouldn't settle for good enough. Why settle for good enough when you can contact Visuex and get visual excellence? As a listener of the This Week in Linux podcast and a member of the DLN community, you can get started for free with a free consultation. Plus, also, if you let them know you heard about Visuex from Twill, you receive a 10% discount on your first project. So go to Visuex.com slash DLN to get started. I want to thank Visuex for sponsoring this episode of This Week in Linux. Up next in the show, Mozilla has announced a new subscription service for developers called MDN+. So MDN Plus allows for developers to receive notifications for new updated documentation around changes, new CSS features, and new API access. MDN Plus also allows following uh, particular pages for receiving notifications. And there's also a collections feature for quickly accessing the most relevant articles to your work for what you need from the MDN. So additionally, MDN Plus also offers offline mode via Progressive Web Application or PWA for easily viewing MDN web docs when not connecting to the internet. So the MDN Plus is available at two different tiers. There's the MDN Plus 5, which is $5 per month or $50 per year if you go that way, or the MDN Supporter 10, which is $10 a month, or 100 if you go it that way, which gives you access to all of the regular MDN Plus features, plus also having earlier access to new features. And what's really interesting is that MDN Supporter 10 customers also have direct feedback channel to the MDN team. So if you are a developer in the space for web development and, you're, and you need to have access to the MDN Plus subscription, now you can do it. And I'll have links in the show notes below for how to do so. Up next in the show, GitHub is improving your feed as a developer. So GitHub launches a new algorithmic feed on member dashboards, and they say that they are rolling out a new beta version of GitHub's home feed, making it easier to discover projects, developers, and more across GitHub. With all kinds of exciting suggestions for developers to look at, the complaints have actually begun rolling in as users are worried that recommendations were turning GitHub into something like a social media platform instead. For example, one of the comments was, I do not need to see recommendations nor activity of people I don't follow. And also, don't fix what's not broken. There you go. There's also other people who don't seem to be mind the, the change, so I'm covering it on the show to just inform those who aren't aware, who might want to be aware, 
And also GitHub has stated that the members who do not wish to participate in this feed can now opt out if they want. So there you go. Link in the show notes. Up next in the show, NPM has been hit by some purposeful malware again. Uh, ZDNet is reporting that a programmer behind the popular open source NPM program Node-IPZ has effectively poisoned it with malware that erased the hard drives of computers located in Russia and Belarus. It started as an innocent protest. The NPM's JavaScript package manager, maintainer, RIA evangelist, Brandon Nozaki Miller, wrote and published an open code uh, NPM source code package called Peace Not War. It did little except add a protest message against Russia's invasion of Ukraine, but then it took a darker turn. It began destroying computers' file systems. To be exact, Miller added code that would delete the file system of any computer with Russian or Belarusian IP address. Then its maintainer added the module as a dependency to extremely popular Node-IPC mode. So Node-IPC is a very popular dependency that many JavaScript programmers use, and because of this, it went from being a protest to basically a system destroyer. So why am I covering this? Well, I typically don't cover political stuff on here, but this one is interesting because it relates to open source and the trustability of open source. It basically boils down to this protestware being a potential dangerous precedent. I'll just repeat a quote from one programmer who I think perfectly summed it up in a comment on GitHub about this project. And I quote, What's going to happen with this is that security teams in the Western corporations that have absolutely nothing to do with Russia or politics are going to start seeing free and open source software as an avenue for supply chain attacks, which this totally is, and simply start banning free and open source software. All free and open source software within their companies, in fact. Or at least all of it which is, commu- is, which is community maintained. This will have no positive effect for Ukrainians and will only hurt FOSS adoption. So... This, I think, very well describes the issue. It was a bit more colorful than the way I said it, but if you'd like to know more about it and check out the full quote, I'll have a link to the Zenit article in the show notes. Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you like what I do here on this show, please like that smash button and be sure to subscribe. If you'd like to support the show and the channel, we have multiple ways you can do it via Patreon sponsors and others. You can become a patron by going to tuxdigital.com slash contribute. And if you do become a patron, you can join me in the live stream recording stadium to discuss stuff between the topics and just to hang out every week after the show in the patron-only post-show. You can also support the show by ordering the Linux is Everywhere t-shirt. T-shirt? I did it again! Or the This Week in Linux shirt at dealinstore.com. Plus, while you're there, we also have the other great stuff like hats, mugs, hoodies, stickers, more, maybe even some shorts at some point, so that actually will be true, <laughs> dealinstore.com. If you'd like some more podcasting goodness from me, then check out the latest episode of Destination Linux and Hardware Addicts, as I'm a co-host of both of those shows on the Destination Linux Network. And just a reminder, this show is live every Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern or 1700 UTC. So join us in the live chat room to discuss all the latest Linux news each and every week by going to dealinlive.com. Thanks again for watching. I'm Michael Tunnell with the Destination Linux Network, and I'll see you next week for another episode of your weekly source for Linux good news.